Welcome to Friends of Fire, the podcast that bridges the gap between fire science and natural resource management. My name is Marinelle Armstrong, Outreach Specialist with Southern Fire Exchange, and today we will be continuing the conversation with Adam Warwick about the Southern Blue Ridge Call When Needed Fire Crew Model. Adam is the Stewardship Manager for the Nature Conservancy's North Carolina Southern Blue Ridge Program. He oversees management of 15,000 acres of conservation lands in western North Carolina. Adam's work focuses on restoring and maintaining southern Appalachian bogs, as well as oak and pine woodlands in fire-dependent ecosystems of the Southern Blue Ridge. And he leads multiple Southern Blue Ridge Fire Learning Network landscapes, as well as the Bog Learning Network. Before joining the Nature Conservancy eight years ago, Adam managed game and red-cockaded woodpecker populations for the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission and learned to burn on Tate's Hell State Forest. Adam's recent work has included studying the effects of fire on bog turtle populations and investigating the effects of burning on bog hydrology and green pitcher plant response. He has recently published Literature Syntheses, Considerations for Fire and Wildlife in the Southern Blue Ridge, and The Fire Manager's Guide to Blue Ridge Ecozones, which are free and available in both print and digital form from the Southern Blue Ridge Fire Learning Network website, and links to these resources will also be included in the podcast description. In the last episode, we discussed the general design of the crew, what makes it unique, how to support crew cohesion, supporting diversity, and how the crew helps promote community acceptance and understanding of prescribed fire. Today, we will discuss recruiting, costs and funding, partnerships, equipment needs, pros and cons of this type of crew, how to overcome challenges, accomplishments, and hopes for the future. This episode is longer than usual, full of great information, but if you'd like to skip to a particular subject, you can find an outline of the topics and when they are discussed in the podcast description. So, Adam, let's jump back in. How do you recruit for potential crew members? Um, well, in the beginning, I was, um, you know, I was working on my task book for type four incident commander. And so I found that with TNC, you know, we don't do suppression. So it's kind of hard to get those wildfire tasks accomplished. So I would go sit in the uh, county, for, uh, North Carolina Forest Service County offices and do initial attack with them. One thing they do is when uh, fire danger is high, they bring in standby firefighters. So I think they get paid $12, $13 an hour to come sit at the uh, Forest Service office and wait for fires to break out. And those are the, those are are that's where I sort of started. The guy, the Juniper, my crew leader, you know, her husband used to work for Appalachian Trails Conservancy. And I think somebody told me he had a background in fire. So I approached him and he's like, my job won't let me do that, but my wife works in fire or used to work in fire and she'd love this. Those are the main ways that I started networking. They, from there, after I had that core, it was word of mouth. I don't really advertise on conservation job boards because I don't have to. And in fact, it makes it more complicated because typically um, your Western suppression um, firefighter coming out east for prescribed fire season, they, they typically want a full-time position and um, they can go down to our Sand Hills program or our, our Longleaf Coastal program and get that if that's what they're looking for. My folks want are looking for part-time and it works better for me to be local, uh, to go local. And so everybody, nobody here moved anywhere from anywhere 
to here for our job. They all actually already live here. So, um, you know, my Asheville fire department guy, he'll, he'll come back to me. Brian Mixon is his name. He'll, he'll come and he'll say, Hey, I got, I got another guy that's, that's, I think would be a good fit for our crew and a good fit. You know, that's, that's probably worth some time. Um, character is, is really important in personality. That's probably the, the biggest, um, one of the biggest components. I think we all work really well together and there's just good communication and good crew cohesion naturally. What makes this crew work is the people. It's, it's the people we select to, to be on the crew. It, it's, it's really challenging for people. It, it has its benefits, but it's tough to work with different people, a different crew. It's not like a hotshot crew where you get to know each other all season and you know exactly what each other's strengths or weaknesses are. You're kind of always figuring it out but that's good because that's kind of the way the fire world kind of goes you get thrown into things um and you gotta uh, assess a situation and and go to work and that's kind of how it is almost every day that we get out and and work so i but to answer your question i i it's word of mouth now and it kind of works it's i don't do any more i don't really recruit anymore my crew recruits for me they get out and they know people. So I just look for really good people, honest, hardworking people, work ethic. And, you know, some people don't, it doesn't work out. Some people we have for a season or a part of a season and it's just not in the cards. Either they're not available as they thought they were or or it's just not there. It just doesn't work out for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. But it's getting to the point now where we're, we'll probably have 15 or 16 of 23 folks come back. Oh, wow. I don't necessarily guarantee people spots, but if you're able to work well with the crew and you're reasonably available, then I'm definitely, then you're, you're definitely going to have a, have a spot. I think I can employ my span of control is just so over my span of control at 20 to 23 folks. I'm just maxed out, Mm -hmm. but I could still, if I had the middle management part and the funding, we could do 30 or 40 easily. And that's just a, and that's just a start. So, the limiting factor is probably the funding, and um, and the TNC capacity to do the hiring. That's a hiring twenty three folks is challenging, on the paperwork end, um, for our HR people and uh, my conservation coordinator. We've got it streamlined, and we all take a little piece of it so that not every our HR person isn't as burdened. We take as much of it on as we can um, to make this work. But um, it's uh, it's challenging to to manage it all. So, um, but recruiting North Carolina Forest Service Wildlife Commission and just people. There's people out there that have experience in the field working in nature, and so um, and, and and especially and sometimes in fire. So we uh, it works by word of mouth nowadays. Mm-hmm. Do crew members have to reapply each year? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because. They're six-month employees. They know the systems, the timesheet systems and all that. They get that down pat, and that, that doesn't generally change, but yeah. But they've, their application's already in our system, and so it's not very – that part's not very hard. I think the hardest part is getting up and going with um, the expense, our expense reporting system and our timesheet system. Those are the main things, and maybe some mandatory trainings and stuff. Using our, our Connect system is – 
if you don't use that stuff all the time, you know, it's, you're not as efficient at it. So, so they have challenges, but we work with them and I help them with computer problems and fix their timesheets and all that sort of stuff. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's reapply every year. And for a lot of these crews, the, one of the hardest parts is funding, acquiring funding and, and keeping it. Yeah. Um, could you, so could you talk about funding sources and its consistency and continuity for this crew model? Yeah. You know, once we, we did that pilot program the year before that first year and funded it from the TNC North Carolina operations budget. But then I have a um, sort of a colleague in the Virginia chapter and I think probably seven, eight, seven, eight, ten years ago, he um, he got with another fella in the U.S. Forest Service on the on the Region 8 level. And they're and they were kind of like, and I'm simplifying the story, but hey, we've got all this money. We've got funding left over at the end of the season sometimes. And, you know, it would be really good and efficient if I could we could develop a cost share agreement and I could slide these funds over to TNC and then y'all could do the hiring. Y'all could hire the fire crew to work on to work on our lands and partner lands, other agency lands. And that's how it started with the Virginia chapter doing that with the U.S. Forest Service. And then my counterparts in Tennessee and Georgia, we all kind of got together. And so we all get money from that agreement. Now it's not just year-end fuels money. It's, it's mostly part of the budget in the U.S. Forest Service Region 8. So U.S. Forest Service Region 8 is super happy with it because in most cases nowadays, they can't, the U.S. Forest Service can't pull these burns off without our crew capacity. I hear that almost just about on every burn uh, with every partner. If we, if it wasn't for TN, this TNC crew, we couldn't have pulled this burn off today. And so uh, I think those messages on the, are being heard on the, on the regional level. And so this cost share agreement, we renew it every, every three years. And oh, it funds, okay. Funds our crew. We take our portion and fund our crew. And then Georgia, TNC Georgia does a, a, a four person crew for the mountains and TNC Kentucky, Tennessee, um, to get combined. They do a, they do a, a crew that works up on the Daniel Boone. And then also in the Virginia chapter, they do a four person crew that uh, does the work on the GW, supports the GW Jeff. And, and, and work in Virginia, so so we all work off this this cost share agreement that uh, that we manage with uh, Mike Ward and the U.S. Forest Service in, in Atlanta. Yeah, and that sounds very stable too. It sounds like it's written up into a budget that is maybe more continuous than having to apply for a grant every year. Exactly. Yeah, this is um, you know it's challenging. I think more money. My fire manager, uh, Margaret, she's the one that spear has spearheaded it the past couple years, and so I don't know all of the, the uh, hoops that she has to jump through between, you know, um, both sides. U.S. Forest Service and TNC have attorneys, and it's a legal agreement, and there's things that each of us want in there, and then the other one has to review it, and it bounces back and forth, but. I think we're almost out of the woods on that part um, and working out some of the kinks. Um, the latest kinks, uh, I think, had to do with the widen agreement, which allows our crew to work on non-U.S. Forest Service lands um, with this money. And so currently we're actually on hold with that. But um, we had a, had a great donor 
here locally in Western North Carolina that uh, that stepped up and gave us uh, um, uh, enough money funding to pay for the crew to work on non-U.S. Forest Service lands um, this season until that that part of the agreement gets worked out. So, okay. So who all do you work with? You work with uh, federal U.S. Forest Service. You work with state or private landowners at all? Yeah. Um, no, uh, we only will work with private landowners when um, when the North Carolina Forest Service requests us. Uh, so you know they're the in in, uh, in Western North Carolina. They are the uh, they're the uh, or in North Carolina they're kind of the private lands burners. We don't have um, contractors like in oh, um, Florida. We don't have private contractors for the mountains yet. So um, if they're burning a private land and they request our assistance, we can we can go help them. Otherwise, we stick to uh, we're really supporting um, public lands. So it's a lot of it's U.S. Forest Service. Um, we we try to we, you know obviously we're getting the money from them, so we prioritize it. Um, we go over and help the Smokies um, burn. So the National Park Service um, in in North Carolina, it's the Forest Service, State Parks, and the Wildlife Commission, and of course uh, Georgia DNR. More recently, we've started helping um, the Asheville Watershed and Greenville Water. Um, and uh, and we 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 uh, we helped uh, South Carolina Forestry Commission. That's the in, in South Carolina State Parks. That's a really new um, new partnership that we're developing. So uh, yeah, that's yeah. a that's a lot of partnerships. That's a, a lot of opportunities to burn. It is, and you know what's so what's so fascinating about it, and this is kind of goes back to the fire culture is, uh, you know, there's different experience levels and different ways of doing things between agencies as i know you you've seen before so we we're like this conduit between agencies because the park service on the on the fire management level the operations level doesn't interact with you know the pisca national forest or the sumter national forest very much they don't burn together um usually we're through our crew we're trying to actually facilitate that you know and, and kind of be matchmaker in some cases, but we're also able to share observations and, and strategies and techniques. You know, for example, in mountains burning, it, it's not it's not intuitive. The topography is 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 challenging, and so what we what we do is uh, like North Carolina Wildlife Resource Commission. You show up to their burn, they'll have you know a Venza map with points on spur ridges that you go, that you follow their points and light along the line that they designated on their burn map. Well, you know, we'd go on to the U.S. Forest Service or other places and share that technique and say, hey, you know, this is what they do. And this is, this really helps with being clear about uh, and getting people oriented in the woods. It, things like that, we're able to share strategies and techniques and amongst partners and work with different people in different styles. And so, um, and we're able to share that amongst amongst the partners, um, and that's pretty that's pretty neat. If you break it down by um, by state, so I think uh, probably 50% of our burning occurs in North Carolina, and then the other 50% is is broken up amongst Georgia, Tennessee, and South Carolina. I think uh, we definitely burn a lot in South Carolina and in uh, 
uh, that's probably the, the second most place. Andrew Pickens, Ranger District, they they really get after it and burn a lot. So so at least 25% of our burning this year has been with the Andrew Pickens in South Carolina State Park. But yeah, we'll travel. It's we try to at TNC we try to recognize that Southern Appalachians is a whole system. With TNC, you know, our our ch state chapters are in a lot of ways very different entities. They're diff almost different organizations in some ways. So we take on the, some of the burden of hiring and funding, but we're all sort of one TNC. And so, um, and it's the Southern Appalachians or Southern Blue Ridge whole system is what we is what we call it. And so we. Uh, we help each other out and it's it's getting fire on the ground so it really doesn't matter uh what state it's in um we'll, we're in north carolina but we'll go we'll go burn we'll go help whoever right we're all working towards the same goal exactly how much does it cost to run a crew like this for a season and how do you think it compares more or less to a standard seasonal crew ours i would say is a hundred and um about 120 130,000, but it's, of course, it's scalable. Um, I, I think the more important, you know, and it's based on our pay rates and, and the stuff uh, we do. If, if I were to break it down, I would tell you, of, you know, a four to six person crew with a crew leader is 2000, about 1800 to $2,000 a day. Um, that's, that's, that's kind of the, 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 the sort of the metric or the, the financial part uh, figure that I use. Um, because, you know, there's just so much that goes into it and every organization's different um, as far as what their costs are for hiring, hiring folks. But that's, that's about what we do. We pay our crew members uh, about $16.50 an hour and our crew leaders $22 an hour-ish. And, you know, it's, it, they're, they're supposed to average 20 hours or less a week um, over the, over the six month period. Um, but, about two thousand dollars a day is is about what it costs to, to go do a mount a mountains burn day. And throughout the course of a season, do you think this kind of crew model would end up costing less than your standard like full time seasonal crew? Oh yeah, no question. I mean, um, it depends on how you measure it. If you're, you know, like I said, if there's not work to be done, that our crew doesn't work. There's no. Obviously, we know in the fire world, there's downtime. There's, you know, you can sharpen tools and do things like that. And we do, we do all that sort of stuff, saw maintenance and things like that. But there's just, there's no really hanging out. There's no hangout time. We're always working. So I think that's the, that's the biggest efficiency. And so I think you're just getting more work done for your, for your money. That gets us six months and, uh, uh, you know, being able to fill the resource needs and capacity needs for partners throughout the season, sometimes four partners in one day. Um, with a four to six person crew, you can't do that. There's days where I'll send a four to six person crew to four different partners. You can't do that with our, our full-time crews. They're usually, you know, they're going to be dead. They're going to one burn. They're dedicated to one burn that day, helping one partner. So that's another area that sort of, that's where the, um, I think that's where the efficiencies gain. Ten, generally speaking in North Carolina and Virginia and other places, we also uh, provide housing for our four to six persons crew uh, for season. So add that up, whatever that is, $2,000 a month for a house and utilities and all that stuff for four to six people. Um, we don't do that because everybody's local. 
so you know and our supplies are normal nomex and chainsaws and stuff like that it's nothing nothing crazy we did we do spend or did spend a good amount on radios because that's one thing i was really learned with florida fish and wildlife commission and florida forest services you know you don't go you don't show up to burn with a partner and ask for equipment ask for ppe that doesn't work it doesn't work for anybody they're trying to plan the burn and you need to show up your crew shows up with everything you need that's radios pre-programmed to that partner's radio cha- uh, channels line pack shelters tools fo- torches full extra fuel all that sort of stuff but we so we did sp- we did spend some money radios are not are not cheap but it's the critical piece it's a critical piece you can't you can't burn without it. So we, uh, we did, we did spend some money on supplies early on. And, um, I think that that's a big, that's sort of a little bit of a hurdle to, to get over at first. And, but the forest service helped us out with that as well. So I think, I think it's really cheap and economical way, way to do this, to to get capacity. So do you provide Nomex and PPE to the crew members each year? Yes, we loan it. Mm-hmm. If, if if they don't have it, most you know most of our folks kind of um, they're experienced and they actually own their own stuff already. But um, but the new folks that don't have it and can't necessarily afford it yet, we have a we have a good stash of um, of spare Nomax. We'll we'll loan everything except boots. Boots we'll give them gloves and sheltered line pack and the whole deal. Mm-hmm. And do y'all have any vehicles? engines, ATVs, UTVs, that kind of thing that you have for your crew specifically? Yes. Um, we have a type five, type five engine. Um, we had a donor, a really good donor, Mr. Crutchfield that really that just gave us funding for a UTV. So we're super stoked about that. That was our kind of our missing piece for our fire program with the U S forest service funding. We rent trucks. Um, so we rent them from, uh, we rent it from Enterprise, and um, it, we aren't required to do the maintenance. We uh, we turn them back in at the end of the season. The deal I think we have is eleven hundred dollars a month for a, a mid size or a twenty five hundred size Dodge pickup truck. We could get by. You know, this season we've had to rent a few more uh, just because, and we've had to do some personal vehicle travel that that's been that's added up to reimburse folks for that because we since we're only allowed two per vehicle um it can get it gets a little challenging um but yeah so rental trucks and the engine and um and we can you know the rental company has been real good about delivering us cars and trucks when we when we have it when we're going many different ways on some days but generally speaking we rent two trucks in december and we turn them back in in april may so if someone was interested in starting up a crew like this or at least bringing it to their agency as a a proposal what do you think is the minimum equipment that they could get by with for a few years well we'll say if you started with five anybody could you know just jump in there start with five folks and see what see what happens that would mean five radios five line packs five shelters five hard hats, five torches, five hand tools, and some Nomex just in case some of the folks don't have it. 
Gosh, that, I mean, that, you could do it for ten thousand dollars. You could probably get that stuff for ten thousand dollars, possibly. Chainsaw and leaf blower. If it's the mountains, leaf blowers are critical for us. One chainsaw and leaf blower. So I'd say twelve, fifteen thousand dollars would would buy you get some a good setup of equipment. Once we demonstrated success, we we ended up getting um, a shop, three bay metal building in in Asheville, where we can work on our equipment and store our engine and, and store store stuff inside. But those are the basics. And that's, you know, like I, said, I keep going back to Florida Fish and Wildlife, but those, those are just sort of things I learned about, you know, showing up to burn and showing up ready to burn. And yeah, so I think those are the, that, those radios are critical. That's a tough one because they're just so darn expensive. Um, but they're, they're critical in, in the burning, burning, any burning, but especially in the mountains. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, communication is, the number one thing in every single AAR that we talk about and without radios, that's going to be a huge issue or it has the potential to be a huge issue. Yeah. And so with our, uh, and what we do is with our BK radios, we have 25, 25 banks and you saw all the, uh, you know, I talked about all the partners we help us forest service and others. So we, in the first of the year, we get all their radio frequencies and program them. And so if I say, Hey, I'm sending y'all to, uh, south zone of the Cherokee today their radio bank is is uh, the radio group is six and and then you just turn to you just program plug in group six and you got all the channels ready to go so you show up and you're ready to talk with U.S. Forest Service. Mm-hmm. So what do you think are some of the downsides or costs of this crew model? I imagine that the hiring and paperwork and just the simple logistics of having to keep up with so many people and keep track of schedules could be a challenge. Yep. That's it. Um, I think the biggest draw cost is probably my, um, personal life. I think, um, I was looking at my hours, I think. So we have CNC, we have a 70 hour pay period for two weeks. And I think mine looks something like past five or six or something like, 110, 120, 115, 100 oh And so that's that's probably the biggest drawback. It's you have to be willing to commit to making it work. I think you know part of it's the challenge of our crew being that size, and and when you start trying to send crew different directions and planning all the logistics and communicating, it's just I stay on my phone a lot, um, texting and and emailing and. Um, checking in with bosses and making notifications and all that sort of stuff. That's probably the, the biggest challenge. And so that's why, you know, this year we hired, hired two crew leaders and that helps, but it's, it's just complex and it requires good, really, really good communication verbally and via email and text. And we get on zoom calls and say, here's, here's how we're going to do this. That's the biggest challenge. I think, you know, you have that, challenge a little bit of folks not working together throughout a whole season and maybe not under fully understanding each other's capabilities or uh, what 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 one person is capable of if you haven't worked with them a lot that's one challenge the burn days are really long in the mountains as i said it's a two hour they're 14 to 16 hours most all the time and because my folks live 45 minutes away they'll have to leave their house at five or six o'clock in the morning and they won't get back to their house till 10 o'clock at night um, wow. based on everything. 
uh, based on, and then, you know, we get back, they're tired, we get back to Asheville and then they get in their personal car and they got to drive 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. I mitigate that. I mitigate that. Um, I think one of the reasons people like the crew is um, I'm kind of by nature, I'm a, um, I'm a people pleaser. So, you know, I'm always kind of trying to make folks happy. And if we're going a certain direction to burn and one of our crew lives that way, we're going to set up a spot where we pick them up. I'm not going to make them drive to Asheville and then double back. So we try to mitigate that as, as much as we, as much as we can, that driving thing and the long burn days is, is, uh, is just really challenging to have a, um, to have a personal life on my end and, and my crew leaders. It's, uh, it's a challenge to, to keep up with all of the stuff, no, not to mention the other parts of the job. And, you know, uh, and like you said, the hiring part right in the, right in the beginning, it's a, it's a big lift uh, on all of us to get all that paperwork done, but we just got a good group of people with TNC in North Carolina and we, it just takes really good communication and dividing up the duties of the responsibilities so that it's not too demanding on any, any one person. So those are really the biggest drawbacks. Yeah. And I was going to ask about how you overcome these problems or plan to overcome them, but it seems like you've already got some strategies in place with dividing up labor and yep. um, delegating responsibilities, especially when it comes to logistics. Do you have yep. any future plans to kind of help remedy these situations mm-hmm. further? So, yeah, I think um, that span of control is the, is the biggest, is probably the biggest challenge and, um, and, and getting burned out, not just, not just me, but my crew leaders as well. I think more, maybe another middle management sort of position we keep getting more and more efficient. And I think, you know, going in the future, I think both my crew leaders and myself, um, the more you can realize and understand the people that you can delegate stuff to and being willing to um, delegate responsibilities. And just because you're the crew leader doesn't mean you're fully responsible for every single aspect. We have so many talented crew members, you know, uh, we, you have to be able to just be good at delegating and, and sharing responsibility because the crew members, all of them, you know, they love to work and they want to support, not just uh, toting the torch. They'll, they're willing to do whatever you ask them to do. And um, our crew leaders and I, we just need to do a good job of, of asking for help. And I think, you know, going forward, I, even if we didn't get another position, we've got it so streamlined now and, and we all know our responsibilities. It took a while to sort of get to a place where we were settled but i think um really dividing up responsibilities and working towards a person's strengths specific strengths working um trying to highlight those and and let them work on stuff that they are that they do well and that they want to do yeah that's a great way to promote some kind of informal training and leadership opportunities is to delegate work and give people the opportunity to try it totally Absolutely. So then what are some of the pros to this model? Well, number one, I think is, is it's, it's doing exactly what we wanted. Like I said, with the fire learning network, we recognized, we were like, what's the challenge to getting more burning done here? And everybody it's capacity on the districts, on the U S forest service districts, 
the downsizing of staff, um, not just in fire, but the staff in recreation and wildlife that would come over to help burn. Those positions aren't there anymore. So the pro I would say is that if it doesn't, if it's not for this crew, some of this burning just doesn't happen. Again, the busy work, there's no role or responsibility for the manager of this crew to come up with work on down days because there are no down days. I think it's fully efficient. It's it's as cost effective a crew model as as there is. It's it could I don't think it could get any more cost effective because if there's no work, then then they don't then they don't work, and they're fine with that. Pros uh, the the region eight funding we couldn't obviously couldn't do it with that. TNC couldn't shoulder that burden. And dollar for dollar, this you know in conservation, you know you've got all these. Um, you have this funding allocated for this particular uh, initiative or goal. And it's not, there's very, I guess, various levels or in certain cases that money doesn't always get into the ground. All of this money gets into the ground. It's, it's good. All, every single uh, penny is going into fire, putting fire on the ground. Right. I think the pro is the offering uh, an opportunity for folks to get into wildland fire in a part of the state and a part of the country that is really hard to break into just because we don't have the volume of opportunity to burn here. This, this offers a way to do that in an area where, where it's tough. It's tough, to, it's tough to break into the fire world if you're sort of wed to this area for one reason or the other. Mm -hmm. um, so watching those crew members develop and that way of facilitating communication amongst partners you know, when I took this job eight years ago, coming from Florida, the folks that hired me, uh, my boss and, and Margaret, they didn't envision the fire crew at all. I was more of, um, I was going to be more, you know, doing workshops and la leading landscapes and stuff. And I still do that. But, uh, you know, I, I realized early on that component of being on the ground with people and burning with partners is critical I, you know that's one of the things i learned in florida um because i was on a state forest and i was advocating for red cockaded woodpecker conservation and and why it was important in an area that was you know in a, an area where the focus was probably more on producing pine timber pulpwood i realized that you know i can sit in the office and preach about rcws or whatever but if I'm not going to get out there and burn with them and drag torch through these swamps, then I, then it's just not going to work. They're not going to necessarily respond to, to what I'm asking and we're not going to be on the same page and it's just not going to be a good partnership. You got to be willing to get out there and do the dirty work and show up early, stay late, mop up and support partners that just show up and do whatever they ask you to do. Um, whatever role you got, it's, you do the best, uh, you'd show up with your crew with good work ethic and um, good character. And um, and it just kind of goes, it goes from there. So um, yeah, all of that, it's, there's just so many pros. Um, it's, it's real hard to, uh, to narrow down what the, what the pro is, the diversity, diversification. I think this offers a great opportunity for folks that have never been involved in fire, but would like to be. So yeah, all of that's pros. And you've mentioned a lot of successes, um, including supporting partners, 
educating your crew and others, you know, talking about taking what you learn, working Mm -hmm. with one partner and then teaching another partner the same kind of thing and training and opening access, access for more fire on the ground and then also access for people who might not be able to be on a full-time crew to be on this crew and still get to burn. Are there any other specific accomplishments that the crew has achieved that you might want to mention? Yeah, you know, well, I would just say that, you know, uh, I think our average has been 20 burns um, for 12,000 acres-ish. So, so far, with season's not over and we're at 17,000 acres for 41 burns, I think, for 17,000 acres. So this has been our record year. Um, that's a lot of burns to support. I'll tell you, it's kind of intangible, um, but like, you know, we've supported new burns. Uh, this, this is tangible. Greenville Water um, and uh, Asheville Watershed and South Carolina State Parks. Getting those, those are programs that are just getting started. I'm really excited about what's to come with the Eastern Band of, of Cherokee. And um, helping get programs off the ground is is uh, is really gratifying. Is really achievement. I think the intangible one and the most most important one is is just the energy that we bring to every burn. I think fire in the mountains is a fire in general is a hassle. It's cha- it, it's a there's a lot that goes into it and it's hard work. And I think the energy that our crew brings is contagious. I feel like there used to be maybe a feeling of um, dread or uh, we got to do this. And I think when people see our crew, our crew comes out, we have, we have fun. We enjoy it. We dig it and we get after it and we work hard. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, you know, that's contagious. We'll show up or we'll look at burn days, sometimes come and go and, and um, think so-and-so, well, why aren't they burning? I think folks, um, I think our energy and our passion for what we're doing is is contagious. So if I was to actually pick an accomplishment, it's that. It, it's, it's, uh, it's bringing that energy to the, to the partners in the region. Yeah, I think that's huge. That changes the day that changes uh complacency you know people aren't as complacent if they're engaged and and having fun and learning along the way and connected to the people they work with yeah yeah we have a hard time figuring out why anybody wouldn't want to burn so um (laughs) i think the same thing like why would you why would you not want to do this um (laughs) it is it is a hassle it is a lot of work and um but that's kind of our attitude it's like Mm -hmm. we're it's just what we want to be doing. Yeah, I'm with you there. I don't understand why anyone does anything other than prescribe fire with their life. My hope, my hope, I was just telling my friend with the RCND, Jonathan, um, yesterday, because we're really looking to do a prescribed burn association in the mountains because um, we've really got this model down with helping our public partners. Now, how can we do this with prescribed burn association? How can we move this culture and change uh and and work this culture into private landowners and i told him yesterday i was like what do you think if we made this if we just did transfer this sort of model to private landowners so you would have a crew that could go around and possibly a small one and support a private landowner you know eventually it'll be private landowners helping private landowners Mm -hmm. but maybe in the beginning to jump start it here 
what if you had a five person as needed crew and that particular landowner was on the priority list? Because uh, unfortunately with private lands, you know, North Carolina Forest Service can't get to it all. They don't have enough staff either. So if it's going to get done on a, on a, on a reasonable scale, landowners are going to have to start doing it themselves. Mm -hmm. So what can we do to facilitate that? I think if we were got a little, a little pilot project, a little funding, I think uh, I, I have no doubt we can make it, we can make that happen too. And earlier you mentioned, mentioned the Eastern band of Cherokees. Do you get to burn with tribal communities too? No, we're working on it. We're in the, we're in the very early stages with the Eastern band of Cherokee, you know, um, I think, you know, Bureau of Indian Affairs has been in charge of that. They're burning for, for quite some time. And um, I think there's been some challenges over there with getting that burning done um, for various reasons. And But I think the culture, there's a new fire management officer there. I think the, the culture over there is changing. And we're, we're always engaged and we're always are offering to help uh, support their burning with crew. Um, there'd probably be nothing more gratifying than to really get fire more fire down on the Cherokee uh, Cherokee lands and uh, and just learn from them you know they have all of this years and years of knowledge we know what we know based on our sort of our hundred years of um, you know suppressing fire and learning fire but their generational knowledge that goes back thousands of years is uh, it's just fascinating and it's it's important to to understand and understand other po folks ways of ways of doing things. So um, I think over the next five, 10 years, that's really what we're going to really try to focus on um, supporting the Cherokee and the, and the BIA, however, we, however they need to, to get fire on the ground. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an exciting way to add new experience and a new culture at the same time. Definitely. So what are your hopes for the future of this crew? Are you happy with where things are or are there ways that you would like to see the effort grow or change? Uh, it's, it's a tough, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm just, my personality is to be, I'm not really, I'm not, I'm never actually satisfied for better or worse with anything. So it's hard for me to kind of sit back and say, we're just going to cruise because I'm thinking about this prescribed burn association. How, how could I maybe take a few of my crew members and start this private lands part of it? Um, how can we do more burning? How can we keep scaling up? You know, I, I think we're maxed out on, on what TNC North Carolina can take on as far as hiring firefighters. I think if we got, you know, some more funding, we could, uh, we could do, you know, hire a middle management position and just keep expanding. But right now, for the most part, we're fulfilling all, we fulfilled just like every request that's come in for every season so far. I'm, there's only been like two or three occasions where I've said, man, I, I just don't have any, I just don't have anybody left. All the crew's gone. But I think, you know, some, some FMOs, fire management officers are really looking to, okay, what can we do to scale up? Well, some of them are burning two units in the same day. And to do that, they definitely need our resources. So other partners could do that as well. If the, if the capacity was there now, who, takes on the burden of hiring hiring those folks that's that's kind of the that's kind of the the biggest challenge because like i said hiring 20 in in um my counterparts in north carolina i think together we hire 50 fire 50 seasonal firefighters per season so wow 
it's a challenge for our chapter and um and there's costs in there that we that we take on from from tnc north carolina so i think the future is landowners private landowners really starting to help out uh help each other out getting these burns on the ground because these wildlife and these landscape scale conservation issues are not going to be we're not going to reach our goals and perpetuate oak and early successional vegetation and grassland birds and things if we just stick to our public lands mm -hmm. private landowners can get timber thinning done and they can get they don't have the um, processes uh, that they have to work through to uh, to get burn plans, uh, burn units and big burn programs approved. So I think really that private lands key is component. And I know Rough Grouse Society is really is really a, an important partner that's going to really help out, help out with that, as is the, um, the RCNDs. I think that partnership and getting the private lands going is is good, because I think what we got here is um with with our TNC crew is a really is a really good thing. Yeah, I agree. It I think it's gonna I really hope that doing this podcast and getting this information out there might help inspire some other regions to maybe try something like this and expand the personnel, the boots we have on the ground, get some more fire on the ground. So if there was someone out there listening to this right now thinking, Wow, I really want to try this or I know some people who should try this. What advice and resources could you recommend to them? I would offer up myself. Email me, awarwick at tnc.org. I'm happy to talk about it. I'm happy. I wrote up a, um, I wrote up a little booklet or a little uh, three, four pager that says, so you want to start an as-needed fire crew. I, I created that for that, um, for that very reason. My crew members would be happy to uh, talk about what they like about the crew. You know, I think employee satisfaction, I think my, my personality helps. I don't like to sound boastful, but my personality helps make this crew work. I'm not a, um, I'm not a sort of a general patent type of leader. Um, that's just not naturally who I am. I lead differently and I'm flexible. Um, I think I'm personable. And we have a good time and I make it fun. I make it fun. You have to dedicate yourself to it and you have to be willing to, to sacrifice the time. But you also have to treat people with respect and make it fun and encourage them and help them in their careers and get to know them and figure out what why they why they're there, what makes them tick and and inspire them. I think there's some there's some intangible stuff in there that you're not necessarily able to include in a, in a recipe for making this work. I'll also say that it's the people on this crew that make it work. Um, you've got to find the right people. You've got to find people that are kind of share similar personality traits, flexibility, easygoing, but really work hard or really where work ethic is, um, is still a thing to them. Like if you do a job, whatever it is, you do it well. That's everybody in our crew. There's no halfway doing things. So it's just a real um, unique mix of folks that are passionate about fire. And, and it's just not, you're just not going to send out on the Texas A&M Conservation Job Board and get what you want, probably. You're going to have to go find 
the right people, the right core of people to make it work. Um, there's, there's experienced people out there with, I have, you know, like I said, on my crew, folks with four or 500 burns lost in their careers and um, they're integral to, to, to helping mentor because I can't, I can't mentor everybody and I don't even have the expertise um, that those folks have, certainly not the experience. So I know that I can send that crew out, uh, those four people out with that, that experienced person and that they're going to be safe and they're going to learn and they're going to come home. And so I think a lot of it's really, Mary, I think it's it's just intangible. It's a, it's a commitment and it's a, it's a way of, of being and uh, open and inclusive to, to, to people where they enjoy coming to work and they, they enjoy being around each other. Yeah. I love that. And it, it's absolute, you're right about it being intangible and it's, it's invaluable to give people opportunities and leadership and just let them try something new and, you know, let oh. them fail if they're going to fail. But I think some of the best confidence booster and it ended up being huge career boosters to me is, you know, being put in charge of a whole burn, like being a burn boss for a day when you expected to be a crew member, maybe mm -hmm. a crew lead. And then suddenly you get up there and they're like, Hey, you want to be burn boss for a day? Wow. You're like, yeah, that's seems insane to me, but absolutely. Cause people don't recognize what they're capable of until you put them in those situations. And I love your leadership style. It really seems to push people out of their comfort zone maybe, or to just inspire them to try new things and to be friends to on the fire line and to have fun and become yeah, educated we, all at the same time. Yeah, we don't, um, egos, we don't really have much of that on our crew. There's probably, if, if somebody has one, they tend to lose it pretty quickly because, you know, we, we give each other a hard time and we make, we, we make fun of each other a little bit and, um, laugh at each other and um and you don't know if you come if someone comes in you know in a lot of crews and the fire world and a lot of stuff you really we have a lot of challenges because people are afraid to step up and say wait i don't know the answer i was telling my daughter that about um her class she was just afraid the teacher was going to get mad at her if she said hey i don't understand but that's on our crew, we encourage that. In fact, if you come in and you don't think you need that, that's a red flag right. because there's nobody that knows it all. And if you don't take advantage of this time with these folks that have been in fire for 15, 20, 30 years, that's crazy because you've got this opportunity to learn and, um, and just, uh, we don't expect you to know it all. Uh, we expect you to come in and, and want to learn so you can be an awesome fire manager one day and you can, you can do this, you can lead this fire crew in, in, in some other area. You can keep going. And um, so, yeah, I, I, uh, that's the culture we try to create. Mm -hmm. And how people respond to questions is huge. Yes. Like your daughter was afraid to ask a question. One of the best leaders I've ever had, his name is Chuck Martin, and he works at Moody Forest with the Nature Conservancy. And he was my first burn boss, like the first cr crew I was ever on, fire crew I was ever on was led by him. And I think I got a hothead pretty quick, feeling like I knew everything about mm -hmm. fire, like this is how you're going to light it, I know what to do. And I would ask a lot of questions, but 
I think sometimes I would ask them in the sense of like, like, why aren't you doing this? This seems like the obvious answer. Mm -hmm. And he was very patient and he would take him, he would hear the question and take a moment to think about it and then respond and like, well, Mary Nail, mm -hmm. uh, we're not going to do that because there's, you know, a lot of dense shrubs under there and it's going to blow up the stand or something. And mm -hmm. I think that absolutely shaped my learning and mm -hmm. gave me confidence to ask questions and also taught kind of how to think things through all at the same time. Whereas if you have someone who laughs at a question like, ha, that's a stupid question or something, it just shuts people down. So a lot of it, a lot of the energy of a crew has to do with leadership, I think. Totally agree. Yeah, I think we have, yes, we're fortunate to have several Chuck Martins on our crew. And it's really, that's what my new, the, some, of the, some of the new folks this year said, I asked them, I was like, because I was doing one of these webinars, and uh, I said, what do you like about the crew? Tell me from your perspective. And that was just it. It's open. It's um, You're invited to uh, to learn. You don't feel like you're constantly being judged or hazed or um, somebody's holding your task book hostage or, or like you should know it all already or that's a stupid question. That's not how we work. So... So yeah, it's exciting. I love it. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this today, uh, for taking a lot of time to talk about this today. Thank you for all you do, helping get fire on the ground, for the leadership that you provide, for the opportunities that you give people. Um, I think it's all really incredible, and I'm looking forward to sharing this with the rest of our fire community. Likewise, Mary, thanks for what you're doing with the podcast and, and uh, keep doing it. And if I can, um, if we can do anything to help you out, we'll, we're happy to. Support for this podcast comes from a grant from the Joint Fire Science Program. Special thanks to the University of Florida, Tall Timbers Research Station, and North Carolina State University. If you would like to share your feedback from the show today, or if you have an idea for a future episode, email us at contactus at southernfireexchange.org.